Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you're joining me today. This is the second part on a series that we're doing out of the book of Romans. Romans chapter 10, talking about who is saved, who is not, and what I should do about it. So we began yesterday talking about the fact that we will never be saved by keeping the law. It doesn't really matter how sincere we are about keeping the law. We are all lawbreakers. You see, the purpose of the law was not designed to bring about righteousness. The purpose of the law was to declare that we are lawbreakers. We're guilty of breaking the law. Now, it's good to have the law. Jesus says he came not to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. So the intentions may be good, they may be pure, but if you're striving to keep the law in your own strength, you're striving to do the impossible. You see, you can't go to heaven by perfectly keeping the law. Nobody can keep the law perfectly. So we talked about those who are investing their entire life in trying to be people of perfection, trying to be people of keeping the Ten Commandments, they will fall short. They will miss salvation. The second group of people that will miss salvation are those who are striving, but they're silent about their relationship with Christ. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. And then he says, don't assume that I've come to bring peace. I haven't come to bring peace, but a sword. So the silent strivers are those who wanted to have a relationship with the Lord, but they don't want to make it public. You know, in the Old Testament, they were saved in the same way that we're saved in the New Testament. There was only one difference. In the Old Testament, you looked forward to the coming of the Messiah. You actually made a public profession of your faith that you believed that Jesus was the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world, and you wanted everybody to know what that was. You know how you did it in the Old Testament? It was called the sacrificial system. You would take a lamb that was perfect. On the day of Yom Kippur, that lamb would be slaughtered. The blood would be taken into the Holy of Holies, and the high priest would spread it on the altar and burn it as a fragrance unto the Lord. That lamb, that perfect lamb, was a symbol that you believed in the coming of the Messiah. Now, that's amazing when you think about this, right? They knew that little lamb, although it was perfect, that lamb could not atone for their sins. They were making a public profession of their faith that they believed in the coming of the Lamb of God. They believed that the Messiah was coming. And they showed they put their faith in the coming of the Messiah through the sacrificial system. Now, what do you think about it? All of the rules and all of the regulations and the laws and the ceremonies and the festivals and the feast, they all point to Christ, the coming of the Christ, the coming of Jesus Christ. As we think about that, it's almost disheartening when you think about all that the Lord went through to get us to the point where we can have a relationship with him. Oh, don't miss it. You say, well, Old Testament saints were saved by making that proper confession of faith, by the sacrificial system, looking forward to the coming of Jesus. We look back to what Jesus did. You know, many Sundays, we have people getting baptized. It's such a joy. Here we are finishing up the first quarter of 2023, and I think we have baptized eight or nine Sundays out of the first quarter of this year. 
people being saved, making their public profession of their faith. And how is that done? Through baptism. Baptism is a way that we proclaim and that we declare to everybody that Jesus is our Savior. And we want everybody to know. Now, listen, if you go in that baptismal pool and you're lowered down in that water and you go down as a wet sinner, you come up as a wet sinner, you may not be changed. That water can't change you. It's not holy water. It's water that has come from the city of Chesapeake. It's just regular old tap water. That water is not sacred. That water is not holy, but it's a symbol that you make, that you are identifying with Jesus Christ. Just as Jesus was lowered down in that water and he came back up three days later, he came up victorious over sin, hell in the grave. When we come up out of that water, it's telling the whole world, we're making a statement of faith that we believe that Jesus died for our sins. We believe that he took our place by dying on that cross, but he didn't stay dead. He rose up again. And just as he rose up again, we rise up again. So when I baptize people, I say, I now baptize you, my brother or my sister in Christ, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried in the likeness, buried in the symbol of his death, but raised in the fullness of his resurrection. You see, that's what happens when we are born again. We make that public profession of our faith. It's not the baptism of the water that saves us. It's being baptized in the Holy Spirit by identifying with Jesus Christ. If you're silent about your faith, it's probably because you've never been truly born again. You know, what kind of person do you think I am if one day I meet you on the street and you say, well, well, hello, it's so good to meet you, Pastor. I listen to you on the broadcast, and I have my wife with me, and, and I never introduced her to you. And you're kind of like, well, who's that that he's got with her? And you find out later that it was my wife, and you're wondering, why did you never introduce your wife to me? Are you ashamed of her? Uh, no, no, I'm not ashamed of her. That's why I would introduce her to you. But you would think I was ashamed of her if I never would tell you who she is. You know, the same is true in our relationship with Christ. When we are not ashamed of Christ, we can't help but talk about it. Listen, when good things happen to us, we can't help talk about it, right? When I go to a good restaurant, I can't help tell people about it. When I see a good movie, I want to tell people about it. I want people to enjoy what I have enjoyed. When I have a good experience with a contractor, right? Or a good experience with a mechanic. I'm going to tell you, hey, go to that guy. He's reputable. He'll do a good job. He won't take advantage of you. The same ought to be true with our faith. Listen, if we're willing to do that for material things, how much more should we be willing to do that for spiritual things? Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? Because it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also unto the Greek. If you're a silent striver, oh, I beg of you, don't just have it in your heart. Romans 10, 9 and 10. If we shall believe in our heart and confess with our mouth, there it is, confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord. That's when we're born again. That's when salvation takes place. Well, there's a third type of person that we talked about that will not be in heaven. And those are the ones who are shameful. There's the ones that are ashamed of Christ. Verse number 10 through 13, specifically verse number 10 of Romans chapter 10 says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame or will never be ashamed. That word means disgraced, humiliated, ashamed, 
It means that we won't be embarrassed over our faith. In Isaiah, he talks about that. When the Lord comes and he lays down a stone in Zion, it's a tested stone. It's a precious stone. Now, this stone is either going to be a stumbling stone, a rock of offense, or it's going to be the rock of ages that you put your faith and trust in. Paul tells us that this stone will cause some of the people to be stumbling over it, some to be ashamed. They are the ones who are not saved. But those who know Christ, they are not ashamed. You say, okay, who is truly born again? We talked about characteristics of those who are not born again. But those who are truly born again are those who put their faith alone in Christ alone, all because they have been called by God. You see, faith alone. Paul told the Galatians believers, we're not justified by the works of the law. We are justified, that is, just as if we have never sinned, by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. Paul says, we put our faith in Christ and now we are justified not because of the works of the law, but because of faith in Christ. Works of the law cannot justify us. And then he says we are saved through Christ alone. Salvation is exclusively given through Jesus Christ. It's not Jesus plus anything. Oh, I know some really good people that I love dearly. But they believe they're saved because they're praying to Mary and Christ, or they're being good and a trust in Christ. It's exclusive through Christ alone. And now here's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. God has his great love for us. He's very rich in, and he's very merciful. He has made us alive with Christ, even when we're dead and transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ. And he has seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Nowhere does Paul mention here the fact that we are saved by our good works or we're saved by praying to somebody or to a statue. No, we're saved through Christ in Christ alone. But we must call upon his name. You see, salvation is not automatic. I don't automatically become a believer just because I go to church. I don't automatically become a believer because my mom and dad are believers. I don't automatically become a believer because I'm an American. I become a believer when I call upon the name of the Lord. Acts chapter 4. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they knew something happened to them. They had perceived that these unlearned, these ignorant men, they had been with Jesus. They were saved because of Christ, calling upon the name of the Lord. You know, many people wrongly think that this salvation is a New Testament salvation. But you know, the Old Testament saints were saved the same way. Zephaniah, who was a, a minor prophet with a major message, said this, Zephaniah 3.9, At that time, 
I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech, that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve Him with one accord. Joel. Joel is an amazing book, right? Uh, If you've never read the book of Joel, I really want to encourage you to read the book of Joel because some of it is for his people at that time. Someone is talking about the church age. Someone is talking about the future. As a matter of fact, in Joel chapter 2, verses 28 to 32, he covers all three of those areas. Let me walk you through it. Joel chapter 2. And it shall come to pass that afterward I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Joel is talking about something that is going to happen in the future. He's talking about the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit of God descends. Joel knew in the Old Testament that the Spirit of God would come upon a person for a particular task, and and that's why David cries out to the Lord, and he says, Lord, don't let your Spirit depart from me. You know, in the New Testament, we don't have to pray that way. Because that spirit is with us. He is never going to leave us or abandon us. That is a promise that is given. Joel refers to this day of Pentecost, found in Acts chapter 2, where that spirit will be on all flesh. And he says, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. He says, even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. Here, Joel tells us that salvation is available for all. Doesn't matter if you're male or female. Doesn't matter about your position. God's Spirit will be poured out on you. And then he says, I will show wonders in heaven and wonders on earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon turned into blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now here Joel is giving us a prophetic picture, not talking about Acts chapter 2, but talking about the time of the great tribulation. And during the time of the great tribulation, we're going to see people saved even during the times of the great tribulation. And they're going to be saved in a different way, not through a different means but it's going to be brought to their attention because they're going to see wonders in heaven and on earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke, the sun being turned into darkness, the moon turned to blood before that great and terrible and awesome day of the Lord coming. So just prior to the second coming of Christ, during that seven years of tribulation, we're going to see that people are going to be saved. Now, when you look at the next event on God's calendar, It's the rapture of of the church. I tell people often, I'm not looking for the undertaker. No, I'm looking for the uppertaker. Paul prophesies in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 that the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. That's the word raptured up, caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and we shall be with him forevermore. Then comes the seven years of tribulation. We know there's going to be 144,000 Jews, 12,000 from each of the 12 different tribes that are going to be converted. We also know that there's going to be the two witnesses that are going to be sharing the gospel. 
But then we learn something else toward the end of the tribulation. We discover that the angels, according to Revelation chapter 19, are going to be proclaiming the gospel. Up to this point, that was only given as a task carrying out that great commission to believers. They're going to keep on sharing the gospel, but when the rapture of the church takes place, all the believers are going to be gone. How are people going to be saved? Oh, there's going to be the two great witnesses, but what happens when they're gone? And it's going to be the 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes that are going to be saved, but what happens when they're gone? Ah, God's going to pour out his spirit. The angels are going to share the gospel one final time, giving people an opportunity to call upon the name of the Lord and to be saved. What a blessing. Do you realize? how merciful God is. He doesn't give humankind one opportunity to be saved. He gives them numerous opportunities to be saved. I was reading that it takes, on average, a person hearing the gospel seven times before they respond. It's called the law of the seven hearings. In other words, we have to hear the gospel at least seven times. Now, some people... It may take 10 times. Some people, the first time they hear the gospel, they respond. But on average, people are exposed to the gospel seven times. Now, what is the gospel? The gospel is the good news. 1 Corinthians 15, that Christ came, that Christ died on the cross for our sins, that Christ was buried, and that he rose again after three days. That's the gospel. The death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ. Jesus dying for all of humanity. You know, we're at a busy time of the year. We're getting close to Easter. There are so many holidays that take place, religious holidays. Even in faiths that are not gospel-driven faiths, there's a lot of holidays that take place. You know, on the Christian calendar, there's only two major holidays. I'm kind of glad because as a chaplain, I represent all the other faith groups where I have to provide a time and a space for all the other faith groups, and a lot of them got a whole lot going on, right? A whole lot of calendars, a whole lot of festivals and feasts and, and all these things to celebrate. As Christians, there's only two. We celebrate the birth of Christ on Christmas. Then we celebrate the resurrection of Christ on Easter. I'm kind of glad. It kind of keeps it simple, doesn't it? Two major events in the Christian calendar. I want you to know, the gospel has been made available to all people. When we think about the greatness of the gospel, the gospel is given and all are accountable because God has given us general revelation. Now listen, if you go home today and you look out in your backyard and then you see a turtle sitting on a fence post in your backyard, I can tell you something. That turtle didn't get there by himself. Somebody put that turtle on top of that fence post. God has given us his beautiful creation that indicates that man didn't do this. Somebody did it, and God did it. Nobody's exempt because the gospel is offered to everyone. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know, the other thing that's great about the gospel, all can understand it. Jesus says, unless you come like a child and have the faith of the child, you'll not be born again. Did you know that 95% of the people that are born again are saved before the age of 21? Why? Because they have childlike faith. You see, grace should encourage our lives. 
to live a life that is well lived. In one of his best-selling books, The Reason for God, Tim Keller tells the story of a woman in his congregation who was learning how grace extended to us through the work of Christ. And as you think about it, it can be somewhat challenging. You know, if you really think about grace, let me put it this way. Let's say that you were $1 million in debt, and you had no way of repaying that debt. And I came along and says, listen, I'm going to take care of that debt. You got a million-dollar debt, I'm going to take care of it. Now, this is just an illustration because Lord knows I don't have anything close to a million dollars. But for the sake of the illustration, go along with it, okay? I take care of that debt of yours. And let's say a year later, I come to you and say, now listen, uh, I, I want to know if I, could, if I can borrow from you $5. Man, I, I just need $5 from you. And let's imagine you said to me, ah, no way, man. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm not giving you five bucks. You would say that you're very ungrateful. I forgave you of a million-dollar debt. I paid a million-dollar debt, and you only even give me five bucks? Well, some years ago, this woman in Tim Keller's church was making this distinction between the gospel and religion, the distinction between grace and a works-based righteousness. She always had heard that God accepts us if we're good enough. And then she said this new message of grace alone was scary. And asked why it was scary, she replied, If I were saved by my good works, then there would be a limit to what God could ask of me or what God could put me through. I'd be like a taxpayer with certain rights. I would have done my duty, and now I would deserve a certain quality of life. But if I'm a sinner saved by grace, then there's nothing he cannot ask of me. You see, she understood the dynamic of grace and gratitude. If when you have lost all fear of punishment, you will also lose all incentive to live a good, unselfish life, then the only incentive you ever had to live a decent life was fear. That's what Romans 6.1 talks about. This woman could see immediately that the wonderful beyond belief teaching of salvation by sheer grace had an edge to it. She knew that if she was a sinner saved by grace, she was, if anything, more subject to the sovereign lordship of God. She knew that if Jesus really had done all this for her, she would not be her own. She would joyfully, gratefully belong to Jesus, who provided all this for her at an infinite cost to himself. So let me ask you a question. Are you truly saved? Are you 100% sure? And if you are, are you sharing your faith? You see, one of the earmarks of a person that has truly been saved is they share their faith. This is what I love about new believers. New believers are so excited about their new faith and their new relationship with the Lord uh, that they go off and they tell everybody, and they're so excited about it. They have a lot of zeal, and they may be lacking a little bit of knowledge, but they have a lot of zeal, and they see a lot of their friends get saved. You see, one of the problems of being 
save for a long time, is that you tend to lose that connection with lost people. You know, as a pastor, I can spend my entire life only interacting with believers. So one of the reasons that I continue to serve as a chaplain in a prison is so that I can have the opportunity to share the gospel. People need the Lord. People are desperate for some answers in this world that we're living in. Banks are closing. The 16th largest bank just recently closed their doors. A lot of people are fearful. This is a great time to share the gospel because the gospel says that God's going to supply for all of my needs. He is the one that I'm trusting in through his son, Jesus Christ, to have everlasting life. So if you're not saved right now, pray a simple prayer. Lord, I believe that you died, that you were buried, that you rose again. I put my faith in you alone. And by faith, I invite you to be my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, if you just prayed that prayer, you meant it from your heart. You're born again. Shoot me a text message and I can pray for you. 252-267-2365. 252-267-2365. Well, God bless you. Thank you so much for listening to the broadcast today. I look forward to sharing with you tomorrow from God's Word. Have a great day. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.